Welcome to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with Mark Murky and Rob Haney from Life Insurance Settlements. This show is designed to help retirees and their advisors understand the basics of a life settlement. In this podcast, we show you how to get more from the sale of your life insurance policy versus lapse or surrender, and how using life settlements can increase assets under management. Mark and Rob ignite conversations on how to look for opportunities and navigate the life settlement process so you and your clients can enjoy a comfortable retirement. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with your hosts, Mark Markey and Rob Haney. Mark, what's going on? All is well here in the lovely state of Florida. A balmy 82 degrees and sunny once again. Uh, <laughs> we're never sick of that. No, I bet not. You know, the funny thing is, every time I get together with you, I learn something new. You're a dog guy, dude. I didn't even know you had a dog. We have our uh, our uh, mascot here with us. Bodie's down on the floor with me. He's my uh, small little Rottweiler that I bring into the office on a uh, pretty regular basis and scare everybody. Yeah, he looks lap-sized. <laughs> He's a lap dog, I see. So. He's a lap dog, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Fantastic. Hey, Rob, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, just to give you a little inf extra information on Mark's dog, Bodie, he is he is a baby. He is uh -huh. absolutely a baby. He likes belly rubs and he just sits there and lays down and just as good as good as he can be. However, you mentioned before we got went on air that you definitely don't want to go to the Murky's house uninvited. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and he'll just sit on my couch and stare at you. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> That's and I'm, I'm not speaking for anybody on this show or the guest, but who doesn't like a good belly rub, right? That's all I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> anyway, hey, Rob, speaking of, you do have a guest on the show today. Who did you bring on? What are you guys talking about? I do. About? I have the executive director of the Life Insurance Settlement Association. Acronym LISA is thrown about in our business a lot. Mr. Brian Nicholson, and uh, he's going to bring to us a perspective from the 10,000 foot view of what's going on in life settlement land outside of just marketing straight to consumers and uh, educating advisors. Fantastic. We'll take it away. So, uh, Brian, you want to say a few words about yourself, a little bit, get the uh, community familiar with who you are exactly? Yeah, Rob, uh, Mark, thanks a lot. Um, absolute pleasure to be with you today. My name is Brian Nicholson. As, as Rob noted, I'm the executive director of the Life Insurance Settlement Association. Um, Lisa is a client organization of, of my firm. So we manage trade associations, generally speaking. Um, Lisa has been a, a client of our firms uh, since 2019 and is my primary responsibility in terms of, of work on a daily basis. I get to... Uh, support the activities of the Lisa Board of Directors, of which Rob is a member, um, and then uh, coordinate our member-facing activities in a, in a variety of aspects, um, and then also serve as the face of the organization, um, pointing towards policyholders and, and other segments of um, sort of financial planning and life insurance ecosystem. Um, and it's been a wonderful ride uh, in my time in, in the chair. Lisa as an organization uh, has grown tremendously and is poised to sort of continue to grow uh, as life settlements become more understood and available to folks uh, as a tool in their toolkit uh, in terms of their financial planning. So with that, Brian mentioned he came on board in 2019. Um, so aside from taking over an association, which is never easy, we decided to throw COVID in for the mix with you as well, taking away our in-person uh, conferences, 
that we used to have at least three a year. Now we're down to two, which is actually a good move. Uh, outside of the struggles and, if you will, navigating through COVID, what are some of the things that you're most proud of as accomplished on behalf of the association? You know, I think that we have, you know, really worked to to cultivate Lisa. So stepping back one little bit, Rob, if I may, you know, sure. we, we sort of see uh, two distinct constituencies as primary audience for Lisa's work, right? We have our membership uh, participants inside the life settlement industry, uh, brokers like Rob's firm, uh, providers uh, that buy policies, funds, you know, down the stream uh, that that purchase larger box of policies, and then sort of stakeholders that help service these companies, life expectancy providers, attorneys, actuaries, um, you know, other other specialized uh, professional services firms, as a sort of group of our members, right? And then, you know, there's folks that we target for educational purposes that would never be inclined uh, to join the association, but are definite beneficiaries of our work, right? Policyholders um, who, generally speaking, have um, a lack of or no understanding about the life insurance that they may hold, right? And the fact that it may be in some cases, their most valuable asset, right? That it, in many cases, uh, could just be lapsed or surrendered um, for no value as they've held it, right? That's not something that you would do with your house or a watch collection or, or an antique car or anything like that that has value that may uh, increase over time. Um, that certainly is the case with um, life insurance policies. Not many people understand that. So we see that community, as well as the sort of financial planners and uh, state attorneys and uh, broker dealers that that help provide um, advisory services to policyholders as another audience for our work, right? So anything that we can do um, to bring folks inside that membership group together uh, to drive consensus or cohesion around, you know, next type of policy that needs to be promulgated in a state or federally, as an audience, and then anything we can do to educate the other side. Uh, that's sort of how we see our our work being projected. On the member side, to your question directly, Rob, we've done a really good job, I think, of cultivating the association as a safe space for an exchange of ideas, right? Around ways in which we can look to project that other audience and, and grow the industry. I think that there's always work to be done along those lines. Um, but we've made significant progress and the sort of pace of change in a number of areas is, is uh, demonstrative of that. So let me, let me, I want to bring market here because we talked a little bit about the call before the call, I should say um, about some of the hesitancy for different entities, especially res, uh, RIAs to get involved in the space and some pushback from carriers, et cetera. Mark's on the front line when it comes to that. So Mark, why don't you ask the next question to Brian about what you asked me before he got on the call? Yeah, and I appreciate your time here today with us, Brian. And one of the things that I did, I got off a, a call this morning. It was from a broker-dealer, a uh, registered advisory firm, and wanted to know more about our industry. And this particular gentleman, boy, I've been in touch with him for a long time. So, Brian, if I'm that type of person or company, broker-dealer, RIA, 
your site, uh, Lisa, www.lisa.org, um, is going to be a great site for that type of individual, whether you're a consumer or you know the president of a broker dealer, to come to and educate themselves on really the A to Z of life settlement. Would you agree with that? The regulatory education, the, I won't say do's and don'ts, it doesn't make sense, but just the overall perception of our industry. Would you say Lisa is a good site to go and visit and educate yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great gateway, Mark, right? Um, and, you know, the primary purpose of that tool as um, a, a consumer facing entity is to do exactly what you've just described, right? Um, you know, this is a case by case kind of thing, right? Um, policyholders come at this for a variety of different reasons um, with a variety of expectations. Um, and the individual life settlement transaction for one person that's perceived as beneficial might not be for another, right? So we want to provide a variety of tools um, that provide the jumping off point to learn more about this. Um, in some cases, it could be as simple as finding a member, right? Um, and others, it could be, you know, learning more about the intricacies of, say, state regulation, right? And there's a whole lot of stuff in between. Perfect, perfect. Because that was the question that was posed to me. And if I'm a uh, whether I'm a vice president, a president, or the compliance officer at a broker dealer or an IRA or a carrier, whoever it is, um, instead of calling a firm like mine, where obviously I want to pitch you on my firm, or that person calling a provider and that provider pitching them on using them, Lisa is going to be a great resource for an RIA, for a broker dealer, for for anyone to come to and get really impartial third party advice and education on our industry. You'd agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, actually an example of work product um, that we've brought members together around to build uh, through the through the COVID process, as Rob described, was, you know, just an infographic about what a life settlement transaction looks like, right? Um, that's available at lisa.org now, a great, a great place for people to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, the specific parts of, a, of what happens within a life settlement transaction, and then you know, certainly learn more from there. Yeah, good uh, answer I'll, there. I'll, I'll add, Mark, I'm going to jump in and let you finish real sure. quick. The other thing we did that was Brian did, I'm going to give him a lot of the credit for this, was we forced forced our association to come together, at least from the provider community, to give four data points to come up with a data study that was released, um, this be a good segue into next month, into our annual investor conference. And it looks like we'll be able to do it again um, and and really showing consumers and a advisors and whoever else asks for data. What kind of data do you have in the industry? And we were able to conclude last year that if you surrendered your policy or you got obviously whatever you got, if you lapsed it, you got zero, and if you sur and if you sold it, you got seven point eight times more than surrender. That is an eye opening statistic. It has been used, I think, Brian, I figured out over over a thousand times across the board throughout the universe of, of, the, of the web, uh, in literature, in articles, et cetera, that number. And we're going to do it again. And that just brings legitimacy to the process. Yeah. And the and the the most outstanding part about that for us is, is at least as it's been conveyed to us, is that this concept of internal to the industry, Lisa-led data collection has been a topic of discussion for about a dozen years. Easy. easy. And um, for the first time, we were able to bring together the, the 23 
provider members that that provided this information to us through a secure online portal um, that allowed us to aggregate this information and convey these data points to folks about the aggregate impact of this industry. Um, and it is substantial. Brian, I don't know if you'll have an answer, but I have a question. Since we're talking <laughs> about broker-dealers and RIAs, um, I think one of the challenges that I see on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, is there are still broker-dealers, wealth management firms, uh, RIAs, whatever you want to say, out there that they don't allow their advisors to take part in a life settlement for various reasons. And I think I know the reason, but it's lack of education. There's the answer. But Brian, what would you say? Why do you think there's still such a large community of wealth management firms, carriers, whatever it may be, that still they don't exactly allow their advisor to even mention the life settlement to their clients? Why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, this is something that as we were you know, coming on board and learning about the space that we heard and kind of didn't really make sense to us, right? Um, because if, you know, we're, we're talking about fiduciary duty in some cases with these folks and, you know, it is their obligation to convey um, the options available, right? And to the extent that an option exists that is not communicated, right? That's a real problem for a policyholder that might have uh, an acute need for money now rather than later, or as a tool to execute, you know, a, a new phase of their financial planning, right? Mark, that's work that needs to be attacked in in a variety of different directions, right? Um, the the pool is vast in terms of the community that you're talking about. Uh, I think I saw somewhere that the one percent of of registered broker dealers um, have ever executed a life settlement transaction, right? So think about what that means. If we can sort of very thoughtfully look to incrementally grow that number over time, right? The size of the life in life settlement industry will will increase, right? And, you know, the numbers that we report on an annual basis will will certainly increase. And, you know, the the quality of life in some instances and the ability to uh sufficiently plan um in almost every instance will improve for these folks that held these policies. And that's kind of one of those things, Mark, that'll never be done, right? Um, <laughs> but we have a tremendous opportunity to educate folks inside that segment of uh, the financial planning space that'll have a huge impact on policyholders. And so, so your answer would be, is it lack of education? Because if I'm a compliance officer of a VP or one of these companies and someone says life settlements and I say no... Are you saying no, just because you aren't fully educated? Would that be the answer? I, I think that's the case in some instances, Mark. And then, you know, we've heard through members and, and other, you know, segments of the industry, you know, there are life carriers that prohibit their agents from from talking about this, right? Um, which is wild to think about, right? Um, yes, the lack of education. I think our job is uh, to to work to convene our members and to drive a really systematic and thoughtful message to that audience, the, the, the broker dealer, uh, IA audience, um, and, you know, look to, to target our increased metrics on an annual basis, right. Um, whether that be input on work product for us or participation at events or, you know, some other metric, um, the opportunity is huge to drive through that lack of education. Yeah. Uh, if you're I'll, in a, I'll, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, if you and I'll finish this up, if you're an advisor or a consumer, even you're listening to this and you ask your advisor, hey, let's, I want to look into a life settlement and you're hearing, well, I can't tell you about that. I'm not allowed to, or I don't know anything about that. If you're a consumer or an advisor, reach out. You know, you can still go beyond your own personal advisor. You can reach out to a group like Lisa, who there's going to be plenty of information on there to contact a buyer, to contact a broker like myself, or to contact us directly. So don't think that just because your advisor said, no, I can't offer life settlements, you're, you're done. You, you can. You can still reach out to a group like us. You can still go to Brian's group, Lisa, and, and investigate, look into this option so that if you have this asset that you say, I just don't need anymore, you can have it appraised. Even if your advisor doesn't know about this, you can still look into this on your own if you're a consumer out there. So that's important to note that. I'll add, I'll add something to that because uh, you, you touched on it, Mark. I said at a recent uh, broker-dealer conference I was in in Orlando that I, I told my looked at my audience and I said, they knew I was going to talk about life settlements. I said, let me put your mind at ease. I just want to tell you something right now. You don't have to tell your clients about life settlements. You don't even have to even bother to lift a finger. Don't even say a word. Just let it go because they don't need you. They don't need you. And I said, if you want me to prove that to you, this is a high net worth transaction, as you alluded to, Brian, earlier on. This is a large asset they own. Let me ask you by a show of hands, how many of you helped your clients sell their home in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Nobody did. I said, interesting. That's a large asset. They didn't need your help. So realize that if your clients are going direct to the source and getting the same, if not better results than going through you, then maybe it's time for you to start to figure out why you shouldn't be advising your clients about this. Because you talk about a win-win proposition to the broker-dealer community or whomever we're talking about. The client usually is very, very happy. Mark has some amazing results in recent case studies of how much money the client actually got. If it were to go through the advisor, more than likely the advisor is turning around and issuing them another product that he or she is selling them, which produces another commission. So the client is going from getting two commissions to zero when they let the TV advertisements that are flooding the market as we speak about this opportunity uh, for clients to go directly to the consumer. You know, I, I once in another event I was at, I said, I, I get listed the top 10 reasons not to explore a life settlement. And I, and I shot up one through 10 and they're all blank. I said, there isn't one. I said, you should absolutely put this into a folder that you called Mark Murky, you called one of the providers on Lisa's website and they told you it's a decline. You've done your job. Put that in the file and tell your client there is no offer for your policy at this point in time, but you've done your job. Fiduciary duty is a word I see all the time on advertisements, all the time that we're looking out for you. If you know about a life settlement and don't tell anybody, you're absolutely not honoring their fiduciary duty. If you don't know about a life settlement your client's asking you and you pretend you don't or you really don't, it's still not okay. It's well past time to, to quit the charade of, oh, I don't know what it is, or we're not aware, or it sounds spooky. When you're doing your CE, which I assume everyone's doing, there's at least four questions on everybody's CE examination about life settlements every year. When you took your got your insurance license, there was a test question about it. So it's not in the dark anymore. It's coming to the light and, and echoing what you said, Brian, you know, the reason that we, Life Insurance Settlements, is a part of Lisa is we believe we're all on the same team when it comes to our industry. We are all collectively working together to grow our audience. And we think the larger 
the uh, opportunity for others, or if you will, the rising tide will lift all the boats. And I think that's been a valuable exercise for us. That's why we've been so uh, active in Lisa uh, and will continue to be because it's very, very important. And the last thing I'll say, then I will shut up, is that it is absolutely brings legitimacy to people. When they say that we're a member of Lisa, all of a sudden, what's that? And when someone is, I'm competing against somebody who's not a member of Lisa, they don't stand a chance. They literally don't. Because the question is, why aren't you a member of Lisa? And there's it's just like, this, what, what's the best reason for not doing a settlement? There is none. There's not a good reason. This is an investment you make on behalf of your company to grow the industry. So that's why it's important. And thank you, Brian, for all your work. No, I mean, I'll turn that right around and say thank you, Rob. You know, uh, LIS has been engaged as a as a member of a, of a relatively new uh, classification of membership that we instituted it as, as we were coming on. You know, that group of folks um, sits as part of um, a group that that actively monitors um, regulation of this particular industry. Um, and, you know, through the thoughtful work of of my predecessors inside of the organization, right, we've actually um, sort of leaned towards regulation as, a, as another tool to legitimize, right? And we've heard folks say that, you know, a life settlement transaction might be perhaps the, the most transparent financial transaction that you can execute today, right? To, to think about that in comparison to the um, lack of understanding relative to this as an option is just kind of mind boggling. Correct. Yeah. And I'll, I'll leave off. And, and I think, you know, you hit it nail on the head, Rob, you know, this is a fiduciary obligation, uh, whether you're an insurance advisor, an estate planner, a CPA, an RIA, it doesn't matter, a representative from a broker dealer, this is a fiduciary obligation that you owe to your client. And if you're not giving this option to your client, well, guess what? Your client's going to find out on their own possibly and skip you altogether. Or guess what? Another advisor is going to make this option available to your client. And I brought up a case summary a couple episodes ago where we had a $10 million term policy put in front of us. Now we can look at smaller policies, but we had a $10 million term policy. The client was walking away, done, had it. It had served its purpose. Long story short, we gave this client a half a million dollars. This particular advisor, insurance wasn't his cup of tea. He had just heard about life settlements through his brokerage general agency director or something like that, I believe. And they reached out to me, long story short, we give this client a half a million dollars. That advisor sat down with the client and wrote him an annuity, which that's what the advisor's specialty was. He was an equities guy, annuities, this, that, and the other. So you have to bring this into the fold. It's your fiduciary obligation. If you're not mentioning it, either the client's going to find out themselves or another advisor is going to mention it to your client. And it gives you the opportunity to look like a hero in front of your client. And it's probably one of the most comprehensive views of why a client should sell his policy or even perhaps not when you do a life settlement valuation. And again, we've mentioned it. You don't have to be a life insurance expert. You just have to be the one that brings the idea to your client who said to you, I don't think I need this policy anymore. It's served its purpose. I can't afford it, whatever it is. You've got to be the one that brings this up. Uh, let me add something, because we talked about COVID in the beginning. So during COVID, um, there was a, a lot of chatter early on about uh, what was called a new practice on behalf of some certain carriers called enhanced cash surrender value. We touched on this in the lab, last episode. We're going to touch on it again. Uh, again, Brian, I'm going to compliment you. Brian was able to cobble together uh, a group of us that worked exclusively on this project, led by Nat Chapo, who 
uh, worked on behalf of Lisa across the country. And without me giving the stats, Brian, why don't you just give like, give us a little uh, uh, synopsis of what exactly happened from Lisa's standpoint? What 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 do we do, and what's happened as a result of it? Yeah, no. So, Rob, this is something that the the organization is still working to um, execute against. You know, as we speak, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's an active and ongoing issue, right? And and I pointed to regulation earlier. You know, for Mark or Rob to do business um, and conduct settlement transactions in states, they need to hold licenses, right? Um, as brokers or providers. I think the number now is 43 states, right? right. Um, there are a handful of states that, that don't require licenses. The issue with this enhanced cash surrender value offer program, which has been sort of pushed into the world by a handful of life carriers, um, is those carriers working to look and act like life settlement brokers or providers uh, in the absence of a license, right? So here we are in some cases, you know, some of our members with either the the life products that they as individuals hold or members of their family, you know, are getting, you know, marketing collateral that says, here's what your policy is worth, you know, you know, whatever the actuarial tables say and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, we're going to give you, you know, three and a half times what the cash render value is at this point, um, you know, for the next X number of days, right? Which sounds a lot like at least the parameters of what a life settlement transaction looks like, right? But they don't hold a license. Um, and here they are with entree direct to the policyholder who doesn't know better in most instances. So we've taken that sort of fact pattern to to a handful of states. I think it's a dozen states or so at this point in time um, and have worked to to have these types of programs deemed as illegal, which they are, right? If if they're the carrier is, you know, projecting this offer into the world um outside the parameters of the existing contract, right? There's something called standard non-forfeiture law uh in in the life space. And you know, this example of the increased offer, right, is a clear violation of a component of that law. You know, I've heard Nat say it enough times to 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 say, right? Something called the smoothness test, right? Um, which you know essentially looks to protect, you know, if Rob had a, a twin, you know, right, and they had the exact same health, the exact same, you know, life situation, and anything is done, you know, to the twins' policy that isn't done to Rob's, right, is is illegal, right, or in violation of the agreement. So. Um, we've seen success um, in in looking to address this issue. It's by no means said and done, right? Nope. But that being said, you know, to the to Rob's point earlier about you know being a Lisa member, um, this is work that's being done here, not anywhere else, right? Um, and this is work that is sort of in the weeds and in states and sticky sometimes, um, and not going to go away. Right. Um, so we've seen sort of tremendous cohesion in in our membership, right? The participants of the life settlement industry out working to push back against this process and, you know, just have the the laws that are in place be, you know, help, have everyone held to that standard, right? Um, 
And that's what we're working to do. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add to that. It's been, um, it is, it's never going to be done. There'll be something else that pops its head up. But what's again to echo the comments about the industry as a whole is having a central body that you can communicate within uh, makes us that much more efficient, more agile, with ability to act on something in a lot quicker fashion. It also, doesn't hurt that when your your attorney that you put in charge of this happens to be an ex. Uh, insurance commissioner of a large state in the United States of America, who understands how insurance departments work, understands the smoothness test, for God's sakes, he might have written it. Um, and and to be able to walk in and very quickly have a meeting and get things uh, at least paused uh, for the moment in time. Because, you know, Brian talked about not having a license. Well, not having a license gives the client, once the client gets the money, it's over. There's no rescission period. There's not the TV ad that pops on TV the next morning to find out they could have gotten more. That's gone. Uh, and then it's just the fairness about my my twin not getting the same situation I got. If you raise the, the if you raise the cash surrender value on one policy in a class, you have to raise it in in every policy in that class, and that's something they're not just simply not doing. So, it was it was in, it was interesting to watch it unfold. It was very scary in the beginning, but it seems to. I'm just going to go ahead and say this out loud. It seems to have calmed down a bit. It doesn't seem to be as prevalent as it once was, but you never know what hold, what tomorrow holds. You know, I, I think that um, strategically and, you know, some of this speaks to, um, you know, having someone with Nat's capacity engaged on this, right? But there are stakeholder groups within the life carrier world, right, that that have some significant sway over um, how state laws are, are interpreted and changed, right? Um the National Council of uh, Insurance Regulators and the National Association of Insurance Carriers, the the law the the laws that were promulgated in states in many cases were done through model legislation inside these groups, right? And as we've seen an increase in these enhanced cash surrender value offers, right, the illegal activity of carriers, right, we've seen some states look to modify those laws, right? And and that's exactly how we see the process unfolding going forward. And, you know, we've made progress, still a lot of work to do. So I'll finish. I'm going to start in the market can finish, but just to put this in, into perspective, these offers these clients get, they look great, but in all reality, they're way under what the life settlement market would have given them. Um, and that's what people don't understand because they're getting it directly from the carrier. So they assume it's more legitimate and they may not even know what a life settlement is. But in many, many cases, the, the offer that they got was far less than what it got had they gone to the market. So Mark Ed, wrap us up here. Yep. Wrapping up. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, Brian. You know, we wanted you on because you provide a third party perspective. So if you're someone out there, whether you're a consumer, an advisor, a head office personnel, a compliance, whoever you are, and you're a little tentative about calling a life settlement broker like ourselves or a provider that you see on the television and investigating life settlements, go to Lisa, go to lisa.org. It'll give you every bit of information you want to see from a regulatory perspective, from an educational perspective, so you can draw your own opinion. So you can come to the conclusion that, wait a second, why are we not offering this? We don't need to be amongst those that say, oh, no, you can't offer it because we're missing out on opportunities. And bottom line, we're not doing our fiduciary obligation to our clients. So that's why you're on, Brian. We wanted you to, to provide some educational perspective. We do appreciate your time here today. And we'll let you wrap things up and tell everybody how to uh, visit Lisa and get more involved with Lisa if they want to. Brian? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I appreciate the opportunity, uh, Robin, Mark. This is fantastic. Wonderful to be with you this afternoon. You know, a couple different ways, right? As as you noted, um, the information that that we've been talking about today, at least in large parts, is available through uh, our website at www.lisa.org. And I'll just say, you know, if if you are in follow up to listening to this today, you know, a, a participant inside that uh, registered advisor or uh, planner category, or interested in learning more about the sort of downstream um, investor related components of our space, we'll we'll be holding our institutional investor conference in New York City on Monday, May the first. A great place to learn about what this industry is doing. Um, on behalf of, of policyholders um, in New York City. So looking forward to that. And I also look forward to, you know, seeing see who, who you might have next on the podcast and, and watching this thing grow. Thanks, Brian. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Brian, you are a great guest. Obviously, that's why they brought you on. Robin, Mark, thank you so much for hosting this and, and obviously using this as a platform to educate both advisors and the public. I mean, that just the word needs to get out there. That's all there is to it. And of course, our last thank you will always go to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with Mark Markey and Rob Haney. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Life Insurance Settlements Incorporated, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance, the show that helps you unlock the hidden value of life insurance. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.lisettlements.com or give us a call at our office line at 866 866- 326-5433, extension 1017. You can also directly contact Mark Murky at 954-326-9378 and Rob Haney at 954-599-4433.